I realized that, you know, like so many in self-pity, I was clinging to this silent uh, unbelief concerning God's goodness. Mm. Like I could talk about it intellectually, but in my heart, there was an unbelief that he was really that good Mm. or really good to me. It's easy to get discouraged if you've been stuck in sexual sin a long time. You don't even enjoy it anymore, and you really do want to stop. You've tried everything you can think of to get free, and nothing works. So you start to think, this is hopeless. I'll never be free. I'm Nate Dancer. Thanks for joining us. If you've been thinking along these lines, you have fallen prey to self-pity, just another one of Satan's schemes to keep people away from true repentance, faith, and salvation. It's easy to fall into, so today we look at how to know if you're in it, how to avoid it, and how to get out of it. Today, we want to talk about how to deal with discouragement, how to deal with self-pity. And one of the things that people who are truly born again find out about this Christian life is that it is not one of uninterrupted peace. It's a life of warfare. It's a life that has discouragement and setback and failures and even periods of sin. And this is, seems like, unanimous for all of the heroes of the faith. This is just the consistent testimony of what it means to be a Christian in this world. So if they all went through it, we're not going to be able to escape it. So Today, I want to talk about this subject with Pastor Ed Buch, who's our Director of Counseling. Thank you so much for coming in, Pastor Ed. Yes. Hi, Nate. Thanks for having me. I guess the first question that I have is, is it a sin to be discouraged? Well, no, I definitely wouldn't go that far. I don't think being discouraged is a sin. Discouragement is essentially a feeling, and I don't think any of our feelings in and of themselves can ever be sinful. It's what we do with them and where they lead us that would become sinful. But And we see that in Scripture. The, the Psalms written by David and numerous other psalmists are full of people who were discouraged. Uh, and Elijah, we think of him as the mighty prophet of God, right. and he's in a cave asking the Lord to terminate his life. He's so discouraged. Um, The two disciples on the road to Emmaus were completely discouraged. And and, uh, even Paul, we consider him one of the greatest examples of of early church Christianity. And he was troubled beyond measure. He said, despairing even of life. So from all of these accounts and more in scripture, uh, we see that what really matters is how we respond to discouragement. And for me personally, I can say discouragement can quickly lead to self-pity. And if I stay in that mindset too long, uh, I will cross a line into sin. I'm certain of that. Okay, so let's zero in then on self-pity. We minister to a group of men who have established a lifestyle of giving in to temptation, 
and they're looking at their track record. Defeat, 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 defeat. Who wouldn't be discouraged? And then add to that the fact that sin just brings with it sorrow and pain. So what percentage, though, of guys are allowing that discouragement and sorrow to give into self-pity? Yeah, well, you describe it, the process really well. It's very prevalent, I can tell you that. I mean, I, I honestly don't have a percentage in mind necessarily, but it's certainly more than half that uh, would be dealing with self-pity when by the time they're coming to us for counseling. This is a very common issue. So if you have a guy across the desk from you and you're trying to figure out Am I dealing with a guy who's discouraged or am I dealing with a guy who is just compounding his sin by indulging in self-pity? What, what are the indications that you're looking for? Yeah, honestly, I think most of the time it's fairly easy to spot self-pity because it fosters this whole victim mindset. Uh, and so the person who's in self-pity is self-absorbed. Uh, they, they themselves are at the center of everything in their life, and, so, and their feelings really dominate their life. So that comes out in almost every conversation in one way or another with them. They, they have a gloomy outlook. They're essentially saying things that amount to statements like life is unfair or I deserve better than I'm getting here. Uh, I've been cheated somehow. My circumstances or my consequences even of my sin, like, yes, I've sinned, but my consequences are way worse than I, than, mm. than I can bear. And if you ask them about God, if you get into a conversation about God and what, how they picture him or what he's like, uh, they inevitably describe some version of God as a hard taskmaster. Mm -hmm. uh, God's demands and expectations are just impossible. He expects more from me than I can deliver. And that comes just kind of oozing out in conversation with someone who's in self-pity. Are they really saying those exact words, life is unfair, I deserve better, I've been cheated? No, they have their own versions of those things, but that's what I mean. If you look underneath a little bit uh, of the surface of what they're saying, that's what it certainly amounts to. Okay. But a lot of the counseling that we do, it's men who, who just maintain that God hasn't delivered me from my besetting sin, and God should have set me free by now. One of the things that as a biblical counseling ministry, we are always talking to people about the fact that the root of something has to be dealt with. And I'm assuming that there is something at the root of self-pity. So what do you see as being the root? Well, yeah, and I kind of alluded to this uh, earlier already, but the root of self-pity is right there in the word self. Self is at the root. Self is at the center. I'm self-absorbed, self-focused. Out of self flows this whole litany of self-sins, if you will. And essentially, my trust is in self when I'm in self-pity. And really, that is nothing more than self-righteousness then. If mm. my trust is in myself, I... I'm self-righteous then, perhaps not intentionally, but I've squeezed God to the sidelines of my life. And uh, so I may have an outward focus where I compare myself to others. And we see this very clearly in Psalm 73, where Asaph, the writer of that psalm, says, my feet 
came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Uh, he's saying, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm about to take a tumble here. And the reason he gives is because he sees the wicked prospering and mm. it makes no sense to him. Uh, they seem to have it all, including God's blessings, while he has nothing but trouble. Mm. Uh, so some people have that outward focus like that. Others have more of an inward focus where uh, maybe I stack up all the good things that I've done, and uh, and yet it doesn't seem like other people see them or appreciate me for them the way I think that they should. Uh, even in my relationship with the Lord, and maybe it shows up there more than anywhere, where I keep track of all the things I've done to obey the Lord, mm-hmm. to serve the Lord, to worship the Lord, uh, to line my life up <laughs> with what I think he wants from me. And in a in a very real way, though, we end up accusing God in our hearts of failing to reward me uh, for those things mm-hmm. properly. Either way you look at it, whether it's the outward blessings of others or the inward pain or hardship uh, that a person is dealing with, at the root of it all, the issue is that I'm focused on the temporal and not on the eternal, and, and self is on the throne in my life. As I'm listening to you talk about self-pity, it seems like it would be very, very difficult initially to spot it in your own life. Are are there any things that you could say to somebody if they're saying, are my feelings and my thought processes, are they self-pity? Is there anything that could shine the light on that? The main way I think that somebody is going to see their own self-pity is uh, would be through the depression that they're experiencing, that mm. despair. That is, Life is like you're living and walking under a dark, gloomy cloud, mm. and it follows you, and it's actually inside you. You bring it with you. It might be uh, in the fact that others just tend to kind of pull back from you because of that. They're not necessarily you know, meaning to send you any message, but the, who wants to hang around with someone who's self-absorbed and gloomy all the time? Yeah, so yeah. people just kind of pull away from that sort of thing. Uh, I think you'll find if you really pay attention, if you reflect on your conversations with others, they've focused on you and mm-hmm. your problems, your struggles. Uh, and if somebody else does have a story or, or something that they're sharing with you, you can one-up them because yours is always a deeper woe than yeah, theirs. Yeah. Um, those kinds of things would, would be happening. And if you want to see them, if you're asking the Lord, is this me and do I have this? Can you show it to me? I'm sure that you'll start to see uh, and pick up on some of those things, and, and the Lord will put his finger on it and say, yes, that's, that's self-pity. I mean, already, if you're asking the Lord to show you, it, he always shows us in order to deliver us. What are some other things that you would tell people how to get out of self-pity? Yeah, and and that's the important aspect of all of this is God wants us to come out of it. And I think uh, there are really probably two really critical things that I would tell you in a fairly short amount of time. The first is get our sight off of self and onto the Lord. We've been self-focused, self-absorbed. And we're not paying attention to others or Mm -hmm. the Lord very well. And so one of the first steps is look at God. Look at his goodness. Consider how good he is. Uh, For me personally, uh, self-pity was a huge issue in my life about Mm -hmm. 15 years ago. And uh, the Lord 
led me to do a study in Scripture on uh, his goodness, and mm. he lovingly confronted me with Scriptures that testified of his goodness. I mean, obviously, now I see it everywhere in Scripture, but mm. then it was somewhat of a surprise to me, like I understood intellectually that God was good, but to actually be confronted with it over and over in Scripture, yeah. and and even there are at least 20 places in Scripture where it literally says, God is good, the Lord is good, and his mercy endures mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to reckon with that at a certain point because I realized that, you know, like so many in self-pity, I was clinging to this silent uh, unbelief concerning God's goodness. Mm. Like I could talk about it intellectually, but in my heart, there was an unbelief that he was really that good Mm. or really good to me personally. Mm -hmm. And it's best, I think, to confront that head on with the truth of scripture and and sort of, you know, ultimately, what am I going to believe? My feelings? Right. Or am I going to actually believe the word of God? Mm -hmm. So when when you began to focus on God's goodness. I mean, did it help you deal with the things that were painful up to that point that were leading you, or did you see it, like, in a whole different way? Yeah, it really uh, helped me tremendously because I I had this litany of past things that I could kind of conjure up or, or remember and point to that led me to ultimately question God's goodness internally. Yeah. And when I came to to those same events in my life and those memories from the starting point of God is good, I saw them differently. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's hard to put into words, but I saw them from his perspective. I saw how he used them even right from the start for good in my life or turned them for good Mm -hmm. in my life. They were not uh, wasted (laughs) training uh, tools from the Lord. Are there any other things that a person should do? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I would recommend uh, in my own struggles, again, with self-pity, I actually did a study on pity in Scripture. Mm -hmm. I'll just look the word up in a concordance and spent some time reading the passages and meditating on the passages that included the word pity and uh, quickly learned one very important lesson, that God pities us. Mm -hmm. And, and, he just opened that up for me one day and helped me see that when I engage in self-pity, I'm actually taking into my hands a responsibility that belongs to him. Like, since <laughs> and, you're not going to do this for me, I'll do it for myself. Exactly. But I'm much better off letting him do it for me. He does mm-hmm. a much better job of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he really does pity us uh, when we warrant pity. Uh, And there are some of these wrongs that we are in self-pity over. Uh, He is the one who will set them right. And he has a time in mind when he is going to act and every wrong will be set right, I believe. Mm. And that's what, uh, if we go back to Asaph in Psalm 73, he says he he couldn't make any sense out of uh, seeing the wicked prosper while he had such trouble and sorrow until he went into the house of the Lord. Once he got in the presence of the Lord with those things, he understood. He saw differently. He saw the fate of the wicked, how, you know, how fragile their situation mm-hmm. really was, how the, the, those blessings that appeared to be so, uh, you know, um, so wonderful were really uh, just precursors to judgment. Uh, and he gained a sight of 
of what God had in store for him. Um, and he ends up saying, I am continually with you. He's telling the Lord, mm-hmm. I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When you have that reality in your life, that God is your portion forever, there's no more room for self-pity going Mm -hmm. on. And uh, that was just such a blessing for me personally to come into that place where God is my portion and things in this life are temporal and I have something eternal being laid up in my relationship with him and ultimately in my heavenly home with him. Mm. You know, as you're talking about this, I'm aware that sometimes we know that we should change but I think we have to be reminded sometimes that this is sin. I need to repent. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and that's one of the keys of dealing with. It's the only biblical solution we're ever given for sin is we need to bring it to the cross. We need to bring it to the Lord in repentance. And and repentance, you know, amounts to admitting that I'm wrong and God's right. Yeah. But it has to bear fruit, the mm. scripture teaches us. So in other words, I have to then have some behaviors or act actions that line up with that statement that I'm wrong. So I'm beginning to do things I didn't do before or do things differently. And in terms of dealing with self-pity, one of the major ones I would look for is an expression of gratitude uh, Mm. that should begin to flow out of someone's life. So uh, we actually, in counseling, sometimes assign people to do a gratitude journal where we tell them, I want you every morning to write down, you know, 10 things, or maybe we might even say 20 things uh, that you're thankful for. Uh, And even myself, you know, years later, I still will take uh, a morning prayer time sometimes, you know, maybe an hour of my uh, morning devotion time, and I simply give thanks to the Lord Mm. as I'm praying. I don't let myself in on that day make any petitions or requests of him. It's just simply, Lord, thank you for, and and it's not just the things that he's given to me or blessed me with, but even thank you for who you are, because he's amazing. He's, mm. he's worthy of the praise and honor and gratitude that we're uh, able to bring him. So expressions of gratitude yeah. are a key uh, to repentance. And um and the other thing I would add to that is uh, we need to, uh, that renewing of our minds, we need to set our minds on things above. Uh, and there's probably a, a lot you could talk about in regards to that. But the short version is we need to actually recognize that the unseen spiritual realm is more important mm-hmm. and more real than the physical realm of things that I can see and touch. And we really need to let the Word of God give us that perspective and renew our minds. Let it give us God's perspective on the things we see and experience in this life. Even Uh, We need to let Jesus through the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence take over our inside world. Mm -hmm. And that will help us have that eternal mindset Mm -hmm. and get away from the temporal, which is fostering all the self-pity in us. 
It's like in our minds, this this reality that we've created, this self-pity reality, ends up, it feels to us like the key to our freedom, but we're just becoming more and more and more bound. Mm -hmm. And by the time you realize it, and some people never even realize it, but by the time you realize it, it feels like an inescapable prison. Mm -hmm. Like There's no way I could ever change at this point. What would you say to that person maybe who has realized at this point, and I've been doing this for my whole life. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I could change the way I think or... Yeah, well, I'm a living example, for one thing, that the Lord does change this in us. You know, 15 years ago, this was a dominant theme in my life. Mm. I was just full of self-pity, and every circumstance of life lent itself to fostering more self-pity. But God stepped into that, and I'm free from it. You know, not that I never have that, you know, tendency. I think any of us will have some of those uh, tendencies to to drift into it, but it does not dominate my life, Mm. and it's not my mindset. I'm not a victim, and I'm glad I'm not a victim. (laughs) There's so much freedom in not being in bondage to self-pity or the sins that uh, accompany it, and, and God is able to set anyone free from that. Amen. Well, thanks for coming in. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Several years ago, we did a series on the characteristics of a sexual addict. We interviewed Ken Larkin, who's one of our residential program counselors, and spoke to him about the hopelessness that very often grips sex addicts. I want to play just a few portions of this interview with you for two reasons. First, I think if you're listening, hoping to get free from sexual sin, this is really going to help you see how despair and self-pity are deeply connected to your struggle for victory. And second, I think we need to understand that hopelessness can be a very real barrier between us and God. Okay, Ken, we've come to this idea of just feeling hopeless. I know a lot of people are there, and I wanted to start by playing for you the description Pastor Steve gave of this particular characteristic. Living in spiritual defeat over a prolonged period of time causes the man to waffle back and forth between an inflated sense of his own spirituality and a feeling of overwhelming hopelessness. Part of the problem is that for years he has run to books seminars, and support group meetings in the hope that he can overcome his problems with a minimal amount of effort. His dilemma has been exacerbated because he has gotten his hopes up many times over the years by the exaggerated claims of people offering help. Read this book. It's powerful. This seminar will change your life. He dutifully reads those books and attends those seminars but finds that nothing has changed. Each promising situation that doesn't bring victory leaves him more cynical. After a while, he even becomes skeptical about the promises held out by Scripture. Ken, Pastor Steve mentioned that people try different kinds of things unsuccessfully to find freedom oftentimes. What kinds of things have you known for people to try in order to get 
free from sexual sin. Really, the full gamut, I mean, first of all, is just sheer willpower, just trying hard enough. Um, and then, as Pastor Steve mentioned, uh, self-help books and materials, conferences, seminars, uh, support groups, accountability, uh, different types of therapists and counselors, psychoanalysis, going to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Uh, internet filters will be another one. If I can just put a filter on the device, that will help me. Uh, even getting rid of a phone or a computer, a laptop, etc. And even going the spiritual right route, praying more, getting more into the Bible. Some guys have even fasted for extended periods, hoping to get free through that through those efforts. How common would you say it is for addicts to feel hopeless in the sense that they have this intense guilt about their failure that's constantly plaguing them? It's very common. And as a matter of fact, the reason why it's there is because they have a real objective guilt. They are living a, a, a lifestyle of sin, so they are guilty before a holy God. And their conscience and the Word of God testifies to this fact that their lifestyle does not line up with the truth that they know to be true from God's Word. What other dynamics would you say kind of feed into that that mentality uh, and reinforce that, that guilt getting so strong in someone's life? Well, we're talking about hopelessness. So it's not just guilt, the fact that I'm guilty, but it's like this nagging thing that I'm never going to be out from under this guilt. And of course, uh, when you're living in habitual sin, you're focusing on yourself and what you want, your desires. And then with that, of course, the enemy uh, of our souls, the devil, will try to feed on that and actually lead someone into uh, not only guilt, but feeling condemned that there's no way out of that guilt. And then instead of turning to God, they turn to despair and hopelessness. You touched, though, at the end there on people feeling almost uh, uh, under accusation from the enemy. I I have talked to people like that, um, people who really struggle with this just dark spiritual mindset. They're doubting that God loves them. They even might be having blasphemous thoughts about God and really feeling bad about that. Where does that kind of thing come from? Well, it's definitely from the enemy. Um, You know, you can't rule out the person's uh, own sinful nature, the flesh. Uh, If you're living in sin and God's calling you on it, that you need to live differently and you're rebelling against that, it's going to be natural to have antagonistic thoughts against God, maybe even to the point where it escalates to blasphemous thoughts, accusing God or cursing God. Uh, But ultimately, I believe it's the enemy. And the enemy will do anything he can to keep someone from God and from really knowing the freedom that's found in Christ. Now, I know that Pastor Steve also mentioned that for these kinds of Christians, they'll often end up even doubting the Scripture and all the promises that are there about change. And, I mean, we know that's wrong, but why would you say someone who claims to be a Christian could really get to that place where they're convinced that the answers of Scripture are just not going to apply to them and work for them? I would say a lot of it has to do with uh, guys that have been professing to know uh, Christ, saying they're Christians, but they've been in sin for so many years that an unbelief has settled into their hearts. And a lot of them have, at least on some level, tried you know, to hold on to the promises of God's Word, maybe memorize Scripture, quote Scripture, 
stand upon it, but yet they're still bound to their sin. And the reason they're bound is because they're trying to deal with the symptoms and they've never really dealt with the roots. And ultimately, we find these guys have never really surrendered their lives to God and they're trying to be free from their sin without really allowing God to do that work in their lives. And the reason why that unbelief is there is because they've been really trying to do things themselves and that lends itself to failure because you're not going to save yourself. I mean, it's impossible for someone ultimately to free themselves from their sin. Well, I know we can't get too far into this topic, but I did at least want to touch on the area of psychology since uh, I'm sure a lot of guys come to you who are holding on to various psychological concepts. For you, where does psychological thinking fit into this topic of hopelessness? Well, really, I would say psychology, as well as the other uh, means people have used uh, to seek freedom, actually foster hopelessness. And the reason why I say that is psychology tends to promote a victim mentality, number one. Uh, it's someone else's fault, or you're a victim of your environment, other people. And the other thing is once an addict, always an addict. So they may be great at identifying problems and telling you what's wrong with you, but they never deal with the root issues and they don't offer any true solutions for lasting change. There's no hope. There's no way out. Once a sexual addict, always a sexual addict. And that fosters extreme hopelessness in the end. Pastor Ed told us that the keys to getting out of the trap of self-pity are getting our eyes off of ourselves and being grateful. But I would imagine that some of you may be asking, is that really enough? It seems like there has to be something more I need to do in order to stop thinking and feeling this way. I want to play a talk that was given in our chapel by Kathy Gallagher because I think she helps us to see how gratitude is the opposite of that self-focused root that is fueling this self-pity. And she encouraged us that there is much that we can be grateful for even when our circumstances are very difficult. I was sitting on the platform and I was thinking about different ones. And I don't know most of you, but I know that in a crowd this size, there are people struggling. (laughs) I think I could say that for all of us. We all struggle to one degree or another, but... There is a key to freedom. And I don't mean to oversimplify, but I want to express how important this one key is for all of us. That's, I'm not talking to just students. I'm talking to everybody in this room. There is a key that will unlock something for you and in you. And that word and that thing is gratitude, thankfulness. When you're grateful, a grateful heart, you've heard this in the mercy studies, a grateful heart is a full heart. And when you're grateful, what that means is you realize that you deserve nothing and that 
God has gone so far beyond anything we could ask or imagine to bring us into his kingdom and make us part of his family. When you realize what you are, without being afraid of it, without like, you know what I want to say is just get over yourself already. Quit thinking about you. Quit thinking about your little world and how bad things may be or or whatever the issue may be. And just stop and think about what he has saved you from. Man, you guys. It's just amazing what we have been rescued from. But when we're in our small little world, everything just gets microscopic and it's about us, what we don't have, what we want to have, what what others might have, what you think you need to have, whatever, you know. And some of these things may be good things. Maybe you want a great marriage, you know, whatever. Some things that we want may be good, but if that thing comes before gratitude it's going to become perverted and corrupt and it's going to create inside of you something so ugly and it will keep festering and keep growing and keep becoming this thing inside and it's separating you from God it's just taking you further and further from him so I'm just All I'm saying is start expressing gratitude. Try to realize what he has done for you. If you don't see it, I know we all will say, I know he saved me. Man, if if that is the way it's coming out of you, you're in trouble. No, he has done way more. It's so much more than that. Bradley was talking about Jesus being blindfolded. You know, he knew the path he was on. There was, it was not a mystery to him. He knew where he was headed. Look, I don't like to look at the scriptures through my emotions, which is very easy for women to do, but I don't like to do that. I like to look at it realistically. And what did it mean for God to put his son through that right now in this moment that's not the big deal the big deal is what he purchased for us that he set us free from sin I just there's just so much that he's done and I just want to just say to you guys all of us just ask the Lord to make you grateful to see what he's done to live in the gratitude. Man, God, thank you. I'm 35 years into this and every day that goes by, I'm more grateful. I'm so grateful. Man, because I can look back and I can see what he saved me from to some degree. And if I could have projected out, if I stay on this course, you know, (laughs) stepping into heaven, I am going to be ready for heaven. I'll just say it that way. Because my heart is grateful now. I'm I'm happy now. I am full now. 
because I see what God has done for me. And I'm trusting Him to give me what I need. But I'm not looking to the things of this earth, a relationship, a home, a car, a job. That isn't what's going to make me happy and satisfy me. Only Jesus. And that may seem like a simple thing to you, but I'm telling you, if you stay on this course and become grateful, you will understand it more and more. It's so important, you guys, to get this. To get rid of this stingy heart, this coveting heart, and become grateful. Lord, I just pray for all of us, Lord. I just pray for all of us that we'll understand better every day what you've done for us, Lord. You have done exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could have ever asked or thought. Lord, you have surpassed what we could have ever asked you for. And man, Lord, still I feel there's so much blindness in us, God. Please open our hearts, Lord. Please make it real to us what you've done and put a thankful heart in us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In Psalm 91, there's a clear promise from God. Those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High will be rescued from every trap. But if you're in self-pity, you might say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I hope by now you realize that the problem lies with you and not with God. And I would encourage you, listen to this episode as many times as you need, praying through the truths that you've heard, and ask the Lord, to purge you of self-pity, help you to live a life of repentance, of gratitude, of praise, and of meeting the needs of others. And soon you'll find that the trap that has seemed so impossible to escape will lose its grip more and more each day, and it'll become a distant memory. That's all for today's episode of Purity for Life. We hope you'll join us next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.